This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Detection and Scale podcast. Today I'm here with Thomas Kinsella, the co-founder and COO of Tynes, which is one of my favorite startups that I've been really growing alongside for the past couple of years. So Tynes does no-code automation. And prior to Tynes, Thomas spent a decade as a security practitioner for companies like eBay and DocuSign. And really, after experiencing the usual pain points faced by security teams, he was inspired to take those learnings and create a laser-focused automation product. And in 2018, he made the leap to become a founder. So Thomas, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you. Thanks for having me on, Jack. So I want to start with a fun sort of like non-security question. So tell us about your morning routine. Yeah, it's a little bit varied depending on... We've got a bunch of customers in Australia. I'm in Ireland. And depending on whether or not I have to get up for a, uh, an early morning call with them. But for the most part, I check my phone very first thing. Bit of a finder's curse, but just check is there anything on fires, anything blazing, anything I really need to, to look at, take a couple of to-do notes. And then, yeah, I'm somebody that's very quiet in the morning. I usually try to take a little bit of time just to plan my day, look at my calendar, make sure that I know exactly what my priorities are. And then, yeah, like grab my coffee, grab my breakfast. If I've got time, go down for a coffee and like really clear my head, but not all the time. And then usually it's into a, yeah, into a bunch of meetings. But I also have like my bowl of porridge or oatmeal, as you, you folks would call it in the, every single morning. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit of a quiet person in the, in the morning. I like my me time. And between US and Australia, when do you sleep? I know I do sleep sometimes, but no, like it can be a little bit challenging. But yeah, I usually try to finish up like early enough, have some proper dinner, take a proper break. Yeah, just the, the time zones can mess, mess us up a little bit. But yeah, it's worth it. It's fun. Coffee in the morning is what makes life meaningful, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm like getting into a whole bunch of different French press coffees now. The team, one of the folks on the team uh, owns their own micro roastery in Phoenix. And it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Awesome. Cool. Let's talk about security stuff. So I want to start with your journey as a practitioner. And I'm curious, like, what did you really enjoy about being a practitioner? Yeah, so I, I loved it. It was really hard in many different ways. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. But I loved the, like, the chase, the difference every day, the incidents that would come around where you didn't really know what was going to become around the corner. And you were just presented with so many opportunities to learn, so many opportunities to grow, so many opportunities to showcase your skills and show off, uh, not even show off, but just put into practice what you had uh, had learned. Also, the fact that you know when I started, it wasn't really something that was talked about, known about. Security was a little bit of that, like, oh, you work in security. But by certainly by now, but by the time I was a little bit later in my career, it was something that you'd see on the news, you know, reasonably frequently, and you'd know a lot about what was going on, and you'd be trying to keep up, you'd be trying to keep on top of it. The other thing I really like is there's a great community. There's like a really good people sharing. There's a lot of people that are in the trenches. There's very little like rivalry between security teams. It's a little bit of like an influencer vibe where some people are doing, I think, or showcasing more about what they wish they were doing. But you're in the trenches with a whole lot of other people. Everybody's on the same team and you're all trying to build better detections and build it scale together. So I really enjoyed that part. What about that journey made it particularly challenging? I think for me, a lot of the hard part was that those incidents would come along 
at unknown times. So you could be working on something really interesting, but you didn't really know when that like P1 or P2 was going to hit. So you could be, you know, out in, you know, having a coffee with some friends. You could be on a holiday. You could be, you know, just in the middle of a normal work day. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, this is hit. And you're like flat out for the next two, three weeks, month with an incident. And those, don't get me wrong, those incidents are the time that you learn the most. But they're also, it's that like sort of Damocles that's hanging over your head. It's really stressful where you're, you're, yeah, you're just waiting for something to happen. And ironically, when it happens, you're actually like, okay, I'm in the middle of it. I know I'm ruthlessly focused on exactly what's the most important thing, which is getting these logs, analyzing these IPs, you know, isolating this machine. Like that's definitely, or investigating this particular potential avenue. That's definitely the thing that you should be focusing on in that time. And that, that makes it like calming is not the right word, but that makes it like, you know, you don't have to think you just, you're on the autopilot. This is definitely the best route. But the challenge is when you're in the middle of a day to day and then all of a sudden like three, four incidents come in and you're like, oh man, this is really, really challenging. There are lots of other little things uh, or not even little things like when you identify a problem, especially as you take on more responsibility and, you know, you're leading a team. I was running the team in, in DocuSign and you know that things are happening as in you've, you know, you just detected a, you know, a hypothetical five users that have clicked on a phishing link and you don't have 2FA installed uh, or set up or, you know, you're saying, hey, actually three people have downloaded uh, macro-enabled malware and they haven't clicked run, but they've definitely downloaded it. You're just waiting for that to happen. And then at that point, when it, if you don't get buy-in from your executives or from the wider company, it's really, really hard to, you know, to let the team know, you know what, like this is going to happen and it's a business decision at this point that something's going to happen and we have to just do our best to contain and to be in the place to put out the fire if, if and when it does happen. But that's definitely a, a challenge. And what about those challenges really inspired you to build times? To I think it, jump? Yeah, yeah. I think it was too hard, right? So like we were doing the same stuff every single day. So myself and my co-founder own, we were working in these companies and we loved it. And we also like, we enjoyed being analysts and we like had an incredible team. They were doing some like really, really smart stuff. But the better we got at detecting, the more we had to respond to. So, you know, we we purchased a new tool and all of a sudden we're like, oh, okay, we got more alerts. We would build out a new alert, build out a new detection. And, you know, now we're, okay, we have to handle that. But also like the attackers got a little bit more sophisticated as well in some cases. And our budget was increasing, but we knew that we weren't able to, you know, just hire the same way as your Googles or Microsofts or whoever can hire. We had, you know, we had a budget. And as a result, we said like, there's a lot of different things. There's a lot of ways to solve that problem. If you've got the budget, you can throw people at it. But we said, there has to be a better way here. And I think that sense of inevitability around incidents, but we said there has to be a better way. And one of the ways from talking to our peers across industry, a lot of people were talking about automation. So we looked at a lot of automation platforms. We looked at, I don't need to, don't need to mention them, but like looked at a lot of automation platforms. We just didn't like them. We said, these are too difficult or they require us to like actually just be software engineers uh, in order to, to implement them. Or they don't allow us to be as agile as we need to be because we need to be able to build these detections easily when this new attack or this new uh, vulnerability comes out. So we said there has to be a better way. And we said that like we started times to, to be that solution that we wished we had. So it was really the need to solve the problems that we had. And the idea that like the life of the average security analyst or the security engineer, those people on the front line is just that little bit too hard. I still think that's the case. I still think the life that the life of those is too hard, but hopefully platforms like Tynes and Panther are making that a lot easier. Absolutely. It's a very similar journey to mine. And I think the way you phrased it, which was, we looked at a bunch of things, but we didn't like it for XYZ reasons, or it wasn't practical for us to deploy, or it wouldn't work for our team, or we weren't at the right size. 
those are very common problems that most teams face. So that definitely resonates with me. Yeah, and it's not to say that they don't that like, you know solutions don't work for some other teams. Like there's plenty right. of solutions to do work for plenty of teams. Just in our case, we were just like we don't have the ability to you know hire ten engineers to support X, and we also want like you know, we want the people who are skilled and trained to actually be doing the work that they want to do, the enjoyable work, like reverse engineering malware or building out those fund detections. We don't want them spending their time in our case, like building a connection to Jira, like that's, that's not something that anybody wants to, uh, anybody wants to be doing, even, especially if you're a, you know, a highly paid security engineer in like the Valley or something like that. So, yeah, it's just distracting. And as you mentioned in the beginning, you never know when an incident is going to happen. And the reason that security teams should not build their own tools is, is exactly that. When an incident does happen, and their tool is not fully done, or they're reliable for really everything, the ops, the development, the testing, everything. They just don't have time anymore and it becomes a part-time job and that tool eventually will die. Yep. And you know, like, of course, 100%, we had a, we had a whole load of solutions. And it's, it's not just like, you know, that person will leave, that person will go on holidays. We had a, a situation where we were, we had a, a large breach when I was working on eBay and own our CEO was working on the security engineering team. So he had built this incredible like insider threat, insider threat tool, but basically you were able to analyze the activity that any employee took across eBay. And yeah, we had a major incident. That tool was used pretty heavily. The tool went down. Owen was on his honeymoon and Owen got calls on his honeymoon. No. That, that he, yeah, it was a fairly bad, uh, really bad. I oh, obviously man. said, protected and said like, I'm not the one calling him and I'm not giving you his number, but they got his number and. It's not pretty. And obviously, unfortunately, like, you know, he didn't, he left. Uh, there was a lot of churn. eBay and PayPal said there's a lot of churn, but um, yeah, like he left a couple of months later. And yeah, the tool unfortunately died a couple of months after that, that it just wasn't maintained. It's like, this is great, but we don't have an SME and we don't have the capabilities to maintain our own uh, our own tools. That was part of the reason as well for building this, that you can build a bunch of homegrown stuff, but it's, it's just not what you should be focusing on. It's not your core expertise and it doesn't yeah. need to be. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about Tynes. Where does the name come from, actually? You never, you never told me the story, so I'm curious. So Tynes are the prongs on a fork. So if you've got, yeah, a fork that has like four like spikes, each individual spike is a Tyne. And if you think about a workflow or a decision tree in Tynes, you're automating a process, you're making a whole lot of little decision trees. Each one of those little branches, I suppose, is called a Tyne. Also, it's a five-letter word where we were able to... Uh, own it in the security space and eventually purchase times.com. So, you know, there's, there's one or two, uh, one or two advantages, but, uh, yeah, that's where the work comes from. What's the mission of the company? I love these questions, but the mission is to remove the barriers for analysts and engineers to do their best work. So enable them to spend their time doing what they want and like being the most effective for, for their careers and for their, for their companies. What was the timeline? Like when did you start the company and who was the team early on? Yeah. So Owen actually like Owen started on his own for a little bit. We worked for a long time. We talked about it for a long time. He started and then I joined a couple months later, almost a year later. So he's the engineer. Like he spent a long time building. And then once we had a couple of POCs, he was like, hey, TK, you need to, uh, we're on. And then we spent, yeah, a year, just the two of us. And then our colleague called Martin, who we'd worked with in, uh, in eBay and DocuSign as well, joined us as well. At that point, we had four or five customers, I think. So I think our first customer came very, very early 2019. So it took almost a year to get our first customer. We had a couple of people that were like trying it out or paying us for some consulting, but the actual like mm. platform for uh, an invoice for the platform came in, I think, February, March. And then, 
yeah, we pretty quickly, that was like, we got a couple of really big customers early on. So we were very lucky to get McKess and they're like a fortune, a fortune 10. We got Sophos, the security company, they use us. We got Bank of Ireland, um, who are the, yeah, the largest bank in, uh, the largest bank in this country. And a couple of other like, yeah, just pretty early customers who gave us some good feedback. But it was really then, there were one or two, like all of those came a little bit through our network. The first deal that we got that wasn't through our network was Box.com, who like baked us off against a whole load of different companies. And I think the final decision was us versus, I think it was uh, Splunk. And it was like two of us in like a, a room that's, you know, whatever, like three meters by two meters, you know, working 18 hours a day versus this, you know, like whatever, $20 billion company. <laughs> like, and yeah, I, I remember the day, uh, I remember the day they, uh, there was never like a, a situation where like we won it. They were just like, so we're going to move you into procurement. And we were like, does this mean, does this mean we won? I think this means we won. But uh, they, yeah, I remember that day, uh, like, I don't know, whatever, seven or eight people from Splunk just uh, like logged onto our LinkedIn profiles and we're like, oh yeah, this means that we won. But that was, I suppose, the time that we were like, okay, I think we're, yeah, we're onto something here. That like, this is a platform that people with no in at all, like we're able to win some really, really big and really significant accounts. So, Is there a use case that's really surprising to you that you're seeing your customers go through that you just like never expected? Yeah, there's a bunch of... So we have this competition called You Did What With Tines, where uh, people just use Tines to automate a bunch of, not crazy tasks, but like, you know, a bunch of random tasks. So I can talk about one or two of those. So Tines as a platform, we're just an automation platform. We're really good at security automation because that's what we have a ton of experience in. And, you know, spent a long time working in security operations. So we know what a good phishing process or a good EDR alert process or a good like similar process or cloud security alert process looks like. But as a platform, we're actually very agnostic as to the processes that you're trying to automate. And we don't rely on any like pre-built integrations. So if you want to connect to, you know, a commercial off-the-shelf tools API, it's actually the same way as you'd connect to like a homegrown private API that's, you know, belonging to like an internal, like an Oak Panther sales dashboard API. So we have people that in this you did what with Tynes competition, use Tynes to automate like, you know, their own like daily processes. So some of my favorites from that competition while somebody for Christmas put in a, uh, their PS5s were out of stock everywhere. So put in an alert for their local store to just check, you know, or check like every store in there, you know, whatever 10 mile radius, you know, is there any, uh, is there any in stock? And then got an alert for it. A bunch of people were checking like your COVID test mm-hmm. centers, but like the more security related ones, I've seen a whole load of people. There's GitLab made a brilliant story around um, like shift handovers where like it's automating the process, just like asking somebody, hey, you know, talk to me about what you did. But like, hey, here's the open issues. You know, here's the issues that you closed. Talk us a little bit about what you did. So, you know, gathering that. But the way they did it, they gamified it. So they made it a uh, a hando gotchi where if you don't do your, uh, if you don't do your shift handover that day, you're like, you're whatever, uh, hando gotchi will like, you know, get a little bit sick and be sad. But if you do, it'll like flourish and grow and move to the next level. And they did this all in times. So I'm like, that's crazy and wonderful. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of really, uh, a lot of really interesting workloads that people build. How much time do you think that people typically save like after implementing times? Yeah, like hundreds and hundreds of hours. It's a little bit hard because I'm always skeptical as a security professional to tell somebody like you saved, you know, a million dollars or you saved, you know, like a hundred hours every single day. Cause they're like, well, I wouldn't have spent a hundred hours a day doing that. So I didn't save a hundred hours. In reality, we do have customers that would have spent, you know, 
like a couple of analyst days every single week looking at phishing emails or a couple of analyst days every single week looking at the likes of EDR alerts or SIM alerts. But the advantage of an automation platform like Tynes is that we can go so much further than what that process would have looked like. So if it would have taken you, you know, let's say half an hour to analyze a phishing email property, like upload the attachments into a sandbox, extract out those links, search those links in various different other tools. If there's any like bad IPs, like block those in your firewall, bad domains, search across your SIM logs. Yeah, like whatever, like ban the hashes of any files, all that sort of stuff. That process actually, that would take a lot longer than half an hour to do manually. The whole point though, is that like you wouldn't do that for every single mail that would come in. You'd just be like, I just can't. Like I don't have the time. I need to move on to the next one. So the advantage of automation is that it just brings you so much further and you're able to do those things like, you know, oh, well, now, the next step that I take in that process is I would like, you know, search my SIM logs to see if anybody uh, received that uh, mail. Maybe it's like you'd pull it out of that inbox. Like everybody else who received the same mail, you'd remove it from their inbox. Yeah, maybe it's that you'd check your EDR logs to see did anybody download the same file or ban that hash or something like that. But those are the processes that you just wouldn't take. So while you save a whole load of time, in reality, you're actually able to supercharge your processes. That's not what you should do at the start, though. What you should do at the start is define your process, you know, go a little bit slowly and then get better and get better and get better, you know, implement like small tweaks every single time. If you try to build it massively, you'll end up in the situation that we talked about at the start which is that like you won't have completed it and that incident will come along. The advent of automation platforms sort of came after we started to see a huge influx of scale from sims and alerting and alert fatigue and things like that. So from your perspective, how do you think automation platforms like Tynes and threat detection platforms should really best work together in this more modern like security automation code cloud world? There's a whole lot of things you can do in, in SOARS and there's a whole lot of things you can do in SIMS and sometimes they overlap. We're not of the shoehorn every single thing into a SOAR platform. Just because you can do it in a SOAR doesn't mean that you can. So things like enriching an IP address. If you've got a SIM that can enrich an IP address automatically, do it there. Like There's absolutely no need to you know take that process and then enrich it in times. You're, you're not getting any necessary additional value, but also you should probably be trying to tune your alerts a little bit better you know, further left than further right. So yeah, I think the way it should work, like you should be tuning all your alerts as much as possible in your SIM. But at the same time, there's a little bit of a tweak there that on some occasions, there's some alerts that are a little bit too noisy that you can actually send to your uh, your SOAR platform. So take the likes of this Okta like incident that's just happened now. I'm a big fan of Okta, don't want to go deep into that. But the likes of you know, that assume role in Okta may be something that you actually want to investigate. But if you're a like a large vendor, or a large company, you probably can't investigate every single time that happened because that would require you to investigate something like seven or eight times a week and contact a user and ask them, hey, did you actually do this? And then wait for their response and you'd have 10 tickets open and that person wouldn't respond. And now you're you're in a situation that you're just not adding any value. That's a process that it's actually a reasonably high, it's a reasonably interesting alert. But and same as like adding a second factor, which would have caught the, or which is how like fire I caught the solar winds hack. Like they're really interesting alerts. But to have an analyst do those steps every single time isn't feasible. So I'm saying in some cases, you should absolutely be like removing the, you know, shifting left near detections. But in a lot of cases, then you can actually like, you know, take steps, send it to your SOAR platform, and you can have your SOAR platform automate some of those steps to contact a user to verify that activity on Slack. And if they respond, say, brilliant, I'll just close that case. If they say, actually, I don't recognize this activity, then you've got a really good detection. So there's some areas that live outside your SIM 
like yeah, asking a user that a Sora platform can really like link into pretty well. And then the next thing that Sora platforms can obviously do is they can obviously remediate, you know, auto like ban hashes or block IPs or take, you know, public EC2 buckets offline or something like that. So I love the way you described don't do the enrichment or don't do these like very hmm. high throughput things. The responsibility of the sim is to determine that, hey, this is a good alert. Now yeah. I need to take action. And then the source responsibility is cool, we're gonna take action. We're gonna do a very complex workflow. We're gonna ping the users, we're gonna check in a HR database, check their role, we're gonna ping their manager, we're gonna do whatever else we have to do to remediate because we know that the sim has told us this is actually bad. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's just not like we shouldn't. We there's like like sims do it, sims do it better. But also it's not the strength of any sore platform to you know, to enrich, you know, a million IPs, that's like, it's costly, but it's also, it's just not a, yeah. uh, it's just not what's necessary. It's not what, uh, not what they're good at. So. Agreed. And there's often additional context that you can get from logs that are helpful for when you're doing response, but you can't do everything obviously in one. But I love this idea of like taking one use case, doing it really well, passing it to the next step. Yeah. So, and enriching as much as possible so that the analyst can make that decision, right? And it's like, it's right. if you can enrich to the stage that you can automate that decision, brilliant. But in reality, what you want to do is the end goal is to make the life of the person that's looking at that alert as easy as possible, make their decision mm-hmm. as easy as possible, provide them with as much context and provide them yeah, with the highest fidelity alerts, right? Yeah. So what do you focus on solving next? So you have a great platform. You guys launched your community edition, I think last year, right? Yeah, yeah. What's next in the roadmap? There's a whole lot of things. The big thing that we've got, uh, we're just trying to reduce the barrier to entry to the platform. So like Tynes is incredibly powerful and used by a whole lot of really, uh, really amazing companies. And we've got a lot of people that are using it for like a lot of joint customers with Panther who are incredibly happy. But at the same time, there's a lot of customers from Panther who are like, hold on a second, uh, what should I be doing here? And I'm like, well, actually, we've got these. I don't have, I've got a couple of good playbooks to share with them. But what I don't have is I don't have an incredible library of like a thousand playbooks to be like, this is what you're, uh, this is what you need to do. So next week, uh, or pretty shortly, we're launching a, um, we're launching that library of the start with a handful and we're growing that, like that library of stories. And then we're also like including better onboarding. Yeah. Basically a better tour so that I guess to take a tiny step back, the challenge with a load of automation platforms is that you have to be extremely technical. But the person that actually knows the process they want to automate isn't often the technical person, isn't often the security engineer. So what we are trying to do is we're trying to lower the barrier to entry so that the people who actually know the process like cold are the people that are going to be doing the automating. So the analyst who doesn't necessarily, like who knows a little bit of Python or who knows a little bit of like, you know, knows how to run some PowerShell commands, they're the person, but who definitely knows how to analyze a phishing email or investigate a, like a CrowdStrike alert or something like that. They're the person that should be doing the automating. So what we're doing in times is we're just like lo- consistently, constantly like lowering the lowering the barrier to entry and just providing onboarding, providing examples so that that person can be like, I know exactly what I should be doing in this step. And also that they don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? If, you know, box are automating X type of alerts, then it's quite possible that a company adjacent to box won't name anybody else because we're not a customer there, but that they could automate a similar in the same way. So We've got people sharing stories already in our community, which is brilliant, but we want to make that a lot better. The other thing we're doing, so as a platform, we're, as I said earlier, we're very flexible. We don't really mind if you're automating, like looking for PS, uh, PS5s in, uh, like in your local Walmart, or if you're like COVID checks, or if you're looking to automate your alerts from a Laceworker, a Wiz, or an Orca, 
But what we see people doing or now is we see tines move into these other areas. So we see tines move into like security adjacent areas. So if we just had a webinar there with Old Zero where their engineering team were part of a large incident that their security team was involved in. The security team was just pinging into Slack constantly saying, like, hey, here's some information, here's some information, here's some information, and then like taking action on on it. And the engineering team were like, what, what is this tool? How do I, like, where did I, where did, why haven't I come across this? Like, how are you able to do this? And they showed them times. And they were saying, like, wow, we actually built something like this on the engineering team, but it took eight or it took four of us, like four weeks each to build. And one of them went away, tried times over a weekend and just like shipped it in a day and a half, like in their spare time. I was like, this is a million times more powerful. We also see in the event of a security alert uh, come in, times will remove like that users or like isolate a host, but also like, yeah, lock all the users accounts in Okta or lock all the users accounts in like Azure AD or something like that. And then the IT team were like, hold on a second, like you just did this process in like 10 seconds. That usually takes us five or six hours to do, you know, on a Monday morning when our new start, new hires begin. And then we see times be used by the engineering team. We see times be used by the IT team because they want to know more about that. So part of what I'm focusing on right now, my team are focusing on is we're building out those examples and we're helping those other teams start to use the platform and get more value out of the platform as like a security adjacent use cases, I suppose, before moving into like more general purpose, I suppose, automation. That's awesome. I'm really excited about those things. And I think working on playbooks and built-in libraries is really helpful for the people who might just be new to certain concepts. But what you're really doing is you're democratizing security across the community and not everybody has the opportunity to work inside these big tech companies like eBay or DocuSign or even you know, my background. Yeah. And, you know, the things that we see inside, you know, within those communities, it's not often really shared publicly. So that's the unique opportunity that you and I have as founders to do that. Yeah. yeah. And it obviously advantages times. The more people that are using the platform, the better. But like we have a free community edition where if you do want to get started, you know, times.com, just click sign up and you're able to run like three of these workflows automatically for free so it's very uh yeah we've got a massive like incentive just to, to share hey here's some really good practices for security and like, share best practices from all of the people that are using the platform and again because there's like security is not a zero-sum game the more people that are sharing the more people that are you know it, during the recent log4j incident a couple of our community members said like hey here's some ways that we're dealing with it and where's ways we're detecting it it's brilliant other people like yeah that's exactly what i want to do and that helps keep us and the wider community safe Awesome. Thomas, this has been great. I have one more question and then we're home free. So what are your three pieces of advice for any security operator out there working at scale? I think there's a whole load. If I had to like narrow it down to three, I think the very first one is that security is hard. So we need to make security a little bit more fun. So it's, yeah, this is a little bit of a non-traditional, uh, non, non-traditional answer to some of the answers on the team. So what I mean by that is that analysts suffer with a lot of burnout. Analysts are like, they have a really, really tough job. They're kind of like in defense all the time. My answer would be like teams, like so operators, CISOs, uh, directors, like should be focusing on their analysts, like, you know, mental health, but also just saying, hey, here's a fun project. So do, even though it's not the most useful or the maybe not the most like impactful part, do that, you know, reverse engineering, do that attribution, investigate that, you know, file a little bit more, figure out if it's Emotet or Hanster or TrickBot. And when you do that, you'll, that person will learn a lot more, but they'll also be happier in their job. They'll actually like be able to share back to the community. They'll be actually, you know, be able to share back on Twitter. Like, actually, I think this is part of this particular campaign. That'll grow their career. That'll like help keep the wider community a little bit happier. But more importantly, 
yeah, you need wins and you need to you need to have the fun, bring some of the fun back to security. I loved investigating. I could talk about like the investigation side of my career for a long time, but it's really hard at the moment. And I think yeah, bringing some of the fun back to security is uh, is important. That also means, by the way, not shaming, like getting rid of that culture of shame. Somebody does something, you know, somebody clicks on a link. That's not we didn't train the property or like that's not their fault. These things are going to happen. So that's probably the first thing. The second thing that I, I think is that in security, we do have that tendency. You talked a little bit about it earlier to build it great and they will come, you know, whereas I think we need to be more agile. So when you're building detections, when you're building deployments, break things down to smaller steps. As a security team, we're not, or as in security, I find a lot of teams aren't really good at the project management side of it, where, you know, what does success look like? It means this tool is deployed with these 50 detections and we're able to, you know, do everything. I think we need to strip it down to like be a lot more agile to say like, hey, this month we're going to do this particular task. Next month we're going to do this particular task. And if your project involves something that takes longer than a month, you probably have like a project that's too big for a security person to handle without uh, for a security team to handle without without them not like understanding the actual scope involved. But that also means that you know if there's a project that involves building your own EDR or something like that, or building your own SIM or building your own XYZ threat intel platform, you're probably building something that you shouldn't be building yourself. It's actually outside of the scope of what you're really good at. And even yeah, if you want to do it, maybe, but like break it down to like this is the shippable version that I can do in like a small period of time. And if you do that, I believe you're going to be a lot more agile. I believe that you won't have stuff that's going to break and fall over in you know, the event of an incident, you'll have a much more resilient team. We also have people that are shipping and happier that there's not just projects that are going on for months and months and months and months, as I've seen a lot, fortunately or unfortunately, in uh, in my career. Yeah, there's a whole lot of other benefits there that like, if you make it flexible, I feel like you're going to ask me a question there, but if you make it flexible, you're able to like, you know, implement your, be agile with your like Sigma and Yara rules and stuff like that. But there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. Did you want to jump in there? No, Maybe. I, I agree with flexibility. But not too much flexibility. Too, that can be bad. Sure. No, I, I yeah, I definitely hear. You. I think it's more is flexibility is one thing. I think it's more agile rather than flexible. That like it's being able to yeah. move being able to move quickly. But like that that also means like stability and sturdiness, where it can't just be something flimsy that's like, ah, oh, now I can do X and like change the entire structure. It's like the ability that I know that if I'm in a situation I need to do if I you know, whatever, Log4j comes along. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm able to move quickly enough. I know I'm confident of my infrastructure. And I don't have another project that's been going on for a long time that's uh, that's going to drag it. And the third thing, kind of unsurprisingly, is just like you need to be automating pretty much everything. That there's a lot, a lot of processes out there that are still incredibly manual. So whether it's, yeah, your phishing alerts, your EDR alerts, your cloud security alerts, just look at automation. There's a lot of great platforms out there. I'll obviously plug times, but yeah, look at ways, anything that you're doing a couple of times a day, look at better ways of doing that. And any alert that's coming in, if you can, yeah, they, those manual steps that you take after that alert comes in, you can automate those from creating a ticket, contacting users, isolating devices, all that sort of stuff. So look at automation and you can try Times for free on times.com. Love it. Make it fun, make it agile and automate everything. That's, Pretty much, yeah. That's great advice. Awesome, awesome. man. Thanks so much for the time this morning. It's been awesome. And uh, looking forward to seeing you at some point soon this year. Thanks very much, Jack. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. 
And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io, to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.